Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And you're very welcome uh, to the programme where a lot of the chat today is going to be about the climate and to do with climate change. We're going to, in a couple of minutes, uh, be speaking about the government's climate action plan, which was launched yesterday. And it is very, very aspirational. I think we've come to the stage where we know something has to be done about climate. How much of the points and the, that are contained in this plan are going to happen. I don't know. I mean, because we've seen plans like this before in the past and uh, we're still waiting for a lot of them to happen. But we, we welcome your thoughts. A lot of people are homing in on the transport side of it and the fact the push to get us all into electric uh, cars. Uh, and one of the ways, kind of a carrot and a stick sort of mentality is what they seem to be using. But they're talking, for example, of plans to ban diesel and petrol vehicles from city centres or town centres. Now, that's already getting a huge amount of backlash. I mean, people like Retail Excellence Ireland have come out and saying that banning cars won't work, that uh, evidence shows that retail suffers if you ban private transport into a city or into a town centre. So I think that is something that certainly is going to have to be looked at. I know John Paul put up a poll on our Twitter account at C103 Cork asking people uh, would they change would you change your petrol or diesel car to an electric car and currently as it stands and we'll keep an eye on this throughout the morning if you're on Twitter go on to the C103 uh, Cork uh, page and and vote on our poll please currently 69% of our listeners or people who are interacting with us on Twitter are saying no they would not change a petrol or diesel car for an electric, while 31% are saying yes. And part of the government's plan is certainly to move us all towards electric cars because the biggest offenders for emissions, they're, they're saying, are private cars. So they're either going to try and get us out of our cars and get us onto public transport fine if you've got public transport outside your door but if you live in rural Ireland that's not the there's not for many of us we can't hop on the Dart or the Lewis or even get our bus or a train if you want to get us to and from work but that's going to be part of the plan and failing that if you must drive your car they're saying you got to go electric I mean the big one with electric I think at the moment is the cost of the electric cars and also not enough charge points around the country and I know that's changing and I know part of this plan as well is to make sure that there are more charge uh, points for people and I think if there are more charge points maybe it would encourage people uh, to change from a, a petrol or a diesel car and go to electric. At one stage weren't they telling us all to go diesel? It was meant to be the bee's knees and the cat's pyjamas but they've changed their mind on that one. Anyway your thoughts uh, on it please. Uh, are you of the mind frame to get out of your petrol or diesel car and to get into an electric one instead? Some of your thoughts already coming into us. Patricia we're hearing a lot about 
climate change and carbon footprints, call it what you will and dress it up any way you like. It's all a result of crazy government policies. They have us all burning tanks of fuel, travelling to work in hospitals and schools. Why? Because they have rural Ireland shut down. And as for their crazy expansion of the factory farms, no matter what technology one uses, spreading slurry on the ground year after year, is poisoning us all. Ministers move on but their carbon footprint stays with us. Tax or no tax. I do think that's a good point on rural Ireland. Because so many services have been moved out of rural Ireland and moved to urban Ireland, for those people living in rural Ireland, they have to travel further distances, be it to work, hospital appointment got mentioned there, or be it to to school. And of course, they're using their own private car, the very private car that the Transport Minister Shane Ross said yesterday are the biggest offenders for emission. So there's no name on that text. That text could be right. That was down to government policies to shut down services in rural Ireland, forcing people into their cars, onto the roads to get to the services that they needed. So that certainly is a good point. Thank you for that. And then there's a lot in the plan as well on energy and electricity, how electricity is generated, how we consume electricity. And there's a lot about our homes and the fact that we need to retrofit our homes. And they're talking about these heat pumps. And I'll put my hand up now and say I don't know a lot about these heat pumps, but they seem to be the way forward. And they want some 600,000 heat pumps to be installed Two thirds of them, they say, of which will be in existing buildings, uh, which means uh, we'll all have to retrofit these heat pumps into our homes to make our homes more energy efficient. But one really good point coming in on the programme today saying people who rent privately will be the hardest hit as because it's not your home they won't be refitting. If the landlord decides to carry out the re- or out the work of refitting, what does that mean? It means rents will go up and more people will be forced into homelessness. Also, they want to tax us tax us out of buying fossil fuels but they're not offering an alternative way for us to heat our homes particularly people who are on low income. They are the ones who burn the coal and the briquettes and they're the ones using the fossil fuels. What are the alternatives for those people? So there's some uh, good points coming into us. Keep your thoughts and comments coming uh, throughout the morning as I say we will be discussing it in more detail. Uh, We're also going to hear about the Community Air Ambulance. We've done many interviews in the past about the Community Air Ambulance and an awful lot of money from the Community Air Ambulance has been raised here in Cork City and County. In West Cork in particular, a lot of fundraising has gone on over the years for the Community Air Ambulance. The Air Ambulance arrived, I'm open to correction, but I think it was about September of last year. And here we are into the middle of June and the Air Ambulance still hasn't been airborne. They were all waiting on a contract to be signed with the Department of Health. That contract has finally been signed. So it does look like within weeks we will have our community air ambulance airborne. At the moment, it is uh, in a hangar in Rathcool outside of Mill Street. And that's where it's going to be based. I think that is a good central location for the air ambulance. And this air ambulance is going to save lives. If you look to other countries that have air ambulances, and many have a lot more than what we have in this country, it can get, particularly for people in rural areas, isolated areas, it can get 
to a site much quicker than somebody going by land and by road. It can get to them much quicker and it can get them to the centre of excellence so much faster. It will save lives. So that's it was certainly a good news story. And we'll chat about that on the programme today. Interesting that I meant, mentioned homelessness there with regard to the government's climate action plan and if there is this push on landlords to retrofit homes and then they'll want to get their money back if they put up the rent will that cause more people to become homeless because we're going to deal with the topic of homelessness on the programme today but particularly with regard to the HAP scheme the Housing Assistance Programme but affectionately known and shortened and everybody calls it the HAP scheme it seems that more and more families are facing difficulties privately renting accommodation. Why? Because they're on the HAP scheme. And when they ring up a landlord and they're interested in a property, as soon as they mention that they're on the HAP scheme, more and more people are coming forward saying they're getting no further. Landlord's hanging up. Landlord doesn't want to hear from them. Landlord doesn't want to show them uh, the property. So do we need to look at the HAP scheme? Do we need to tweak it? Because on paper, the HAP scheme looks like this is the ideal solution for people who need to rent who are on low income the government are going to help them out towards the cost of their rents they do it through the HAP scheme the money is paid directly to the landlord with the top up payment made by the tenant you think the landlord it's ideal they're guaranteed the money uh, every week because it's the government are going to be paying it into their bank account and yet for some reason landlords are just not happy with it. We're going to find out a little bit more about that in the programme today. But we welcome calls and stories from listeners if you are on the HAP scheme, were on the HAP scheme, have had problems on the HAP scheme, particularly this issue, having problems actually getting a landlord to agree to renting to you because you're on the HAP scheme, let us know if you have a story to share uh, with us. And a delightful programme, a project that we've heard about locally to plant wild flowers. And this is all to do with biodiversity. This all ties in really nicely with our climate action plan as well. We have to do something. We have to protect our wildlife in particular. We have to protect our bees. And one of the best ways we can do that is by growing wild uh, flowers and they can look absolutely stunning. I know people say, but sure, aren't they weeds? They are, but they're gorgeous. Every weed is a flower. So we're going to find out about an, a local project on the programme today. And then after half past 12 today, it's Tuesday, Joe Heflin joins us. And today, uh, Joe is going to talk about the technology that's used by children and as parents and adults, how we can protect our children. And he's discovered a study that was done by Bernardo's that say children as young as two were using social media, which I find, I'm still trying to work that out, how, how a child as young as two could be using social media. Certainly children as, as young as two are on, are using technology, are using parents' phones, smartphones, are using tablets. If you're out, and, and I 100% can understand when you're in a restaurant and you're trying to have a nice family meal and you have a toddler who is sitting in a high chair who doesn't want to be in that high chair, maybe once they're eating dinner, but as soon as the dinner is finished, they want out of the high chair. And in order for the rest of the family to enjoy the meal, I 100% can understand handing a child a little piece of technology that's going to keep them entertained and busy while the adults or the rest of the family enjoy their meal. I don't, I don't have an issue with that. I think it's where 
you start to worry is when a child is spending too much time, time at home, when they should be interacting with other children, when they should be playing with other toys. That's when we, we sort of have to take a look and decide as parents, we have to draw a line. How much technology do we give our children? How long do we allow them on their smartphones, their computers, are their tablets? And boundaries and rules have to be set. And as parents, we're the ones that have to do uh, that. So we'll speak with Joe a little bit later on on the programme today. Valerie was on to me earlier by text, if I can find that. There it is. Uh, says, hi Patricia, I'd be grateful if you would let your listeners know that the NCBI charity shop in Bandon, they're having a massive sale today, Tuesday and tomorrow, Wednesday. Any Three ladies' clothing and footwear for ten euro. Thanks for your help, and that's from uh, Valerie. There's good bargains, and by cha- by shopping in charity shops, it's twofold. Firstly, the charity is benefiting, and this is a particularly good. Well, they're all great charities, but the NCBI, National Council for the Blind, having a, a little one who is blind. I know the value of that charity. They they work, they do it absolutely incredible. So continue good luck to the NCBI with their charity shop in Bandon but also by buying second hand clothes we're doing a bit for the environment we should all be you know rather than buying things and you just dump them and don't use them anymore if you don't want them pass them on to a charity shop because charity will make money out of it and somebody will benefit from wearing your clothes rather than going for landfill or incineration so you're doing a bit for your environment at the same time. Now some of your calls coming in on this climate action plan by the government that we're going to be talking about in a couple of minutes. Hi Patricia we have a general knowledge of the environmental impact caused by petrol and diesel vehicles. However I would like to hear a properly debated discussion on the acquisition of the material and the construction of the electric batteries and also how the disposal of these wasted batteries is carried out. It's my belief that it's not environmentally friendly. And I, yeah, that's a good point. And I don't think I've heard a debate on that very uh, topic. That certainly is one we- to, worth uh, looking into. Thank you for that. Somebody else says no to electric cars. Why? I simply can't afford one. Anyway, don't worry about it. It'll be forgotten in time. Like the Cork Limerick motorway. That's still on hold. Plus lots more. Great to talk about things. Governments are on these big plans, but nothing more happens with them. Marisa, I Patricia, hope this message finds you well. In relation to electric cars, people on low incomes will not be able to afford to buy a new electric car, even with the government's incentives. This will not work in rural Ireland. Also, people's electricity bills already cost an arm and a leg, uh, especially with the latest 5% hike. These plans will cripple people, not help us. That is from Marie from Heidi. Hi Patricia as to climate change we have to look at the cars of today. Emissions are so much lower than they ever have been. I would not like an electric car. Also we should be looking at countries that are emitting huge carbon footprint. The likes of China, the likes of India. It's this government that wanted us to have diesel cars. Now they're saying oh sorry we got that one wrong. It's electric cars. Soon we'll be back to the horse and cart. And actually the Tisha Gliavaratka referenced that yesterday when he was making the announcement of the government's climate action plan when he said that motorists were wrongly told in the past that diesel was an extremely friendly 
fuel. And he actually claimed the decision by the then Fianna Fáil Green Coalition to cut motor tax on diesel cars was in the top 10 list of policy mistakes by an Irish uh, government. So now they're suddenly going, oh, forget the diesel. It's all about electric this time round. Will somebody come out in years to come and say, oh, sorry, we got that one wrong as well. And Micah says, Patricia, yes, I agree with climate change. I agree to a certain extent with electric cars, but I don't agree with getting rid of all petrol and diesel cars. But I agree with producing carbon-free petrol and diesel, which would be a lot more cost effective to the state and will be a massive boost to rural Ireland. Thanking you. And that's uh, from uh, Michael. That's some of your thoughts and comments coming in to John Paul, Lehman Brough. They need to implement these measures in the cities first and then bring them into the county and the rural areas where public transport is available. Rolling it out across the entire state will simply not work. And Jerry in Donnerell ask the question, what will happen to all the petrol and diesel stations? As we've already mentioned, a new government plan is going to severely limit how people can use fossil fuels over the next 10 years. The Climate Action Plan was signed off by a specially convened Cabinet meeting yesterday and joining me to explain more of what it contains is Deputy Martin Hayden. Good morning to you, Martin. Good morning. And and you're welcome to the programme. Is the main aim of this plan to encourage people to go green rather than force people are you hoping it will encourage people? Absolutely um, I may be a little bit stronger than that it's to put in place a, a range of policy measures um, that will actively make people change uh, the way they, they live their lives in a whole range of ways because that's what we have to do um, we've learned and we've watched in the likes of France with the Yellow Vest protests and all the rest and, and from uh, previous uh, changes we've tried to bring uh, in Ireland itself in the past you have to bring people with you um, so there needs to be probably more carrots than stick. But ultimately, we know the huge uh, threat we face from uh, climate inaction, uh, as there has been, and how we need to uh, change an awful lot about um, every element of how we live our lives, um, f- from transport to agriculture to uh, business, um, so that we, we, we change things for the better and make sure we give it, it's all about the next generation and the opportunities we give them to live the same quality of life that we're living now. Now, the plan sets out over 180 actions and then there's hundreds of, of sub-actions so we have the hope of even getting through a fraction of them. But I think the one that's capturing the imagination for most of our listeners, uh, Martin, is the plans to force people out of diesel and petrol cars and into electric cars. Why is that so important? Well, well, first of all, we have very significant targets that have been set down for us to try and meet in terms of our emissions. Um, we are supposed to reduce um, our, our domestic emissions in Ireland by 30% by 2030. Um, we are going to be well short of the targets for 2020, which was 20%, because at present we are just at about 1%. And we know that diesel cars, in particular and petrol, um, those emissions are a very significant problem for us in this country um, and, and that they have to be greatly reduced. And again, you know, you use the word force. I've been more inclined to use the word incentivize, um, that we are going to see uh, changes in, in, in how uh, carbon pricing um, is there. So we're going to see it's going to become more expensive in this country to drive petrol and diesel. And at the same time, it's going to become cheaper uh, to get um, electric vehicles. And this will make a really significant change into how we uh, the, the levels of emissions we make in this country and in terms of those uh, targets. And if we don't reach those targets, we will meet very significant fines. Um, and I'd much prefer us to be spending money on 
rolling out improved electric infrastructure for electric vehicles to make our environment greener um, and better for the future than spending dead money on, on fines to Europe. Yeah, because people are citing, while we've been running a poll actually asking people would they switch from petrol and diesel uh, to electric. Now, a lot of people are saying no, but they're saying no because of the cost factor of an electric car. The pro- you, you, you reckon the price of electric cars will come down? Yeah, and like Minister Richard Bruton, my colleague, yesterday at the launch, you know, talked a lot about reaching that tipping point. Um, and we've seen this before with new products when they come along. They start off very expensive. The batteries are very expensive for electric cars. Um, but they have been reducing significantly. And when we get to a tipping point of a range of people moving um, to that technology, it does make it cheaper. Um, and and similarly, you will find that it, you know, um, those fossil fuel uh, burning vehicles uh, will be more expensive to run. So I, I do see it coming, but we have to look at ways of incentivizing people um, uh, to make this change as well. And another area that people would have concern around because I'm a rural dweller myself, I live in a rural part of South Kildare. Um, you know, if you don't live in a town or a city, you're very conscious of what's called range anxiety, that mm. will I get far enough uh, with the charge in my car, will I be able to do that long drive of a couple of hours when I would have the charge and will I get back home? Um, okay, you know, we are seeing the capacity of batteries improve immeasurably and there's a lot of money being spent on uh, research and innovation in terms of making our electric cars go much further. But this is a key change for us that we have to bring about. But if I could make one point there that you said, you know, there's the range of different uh, measures we won't get to touch on them all today. I think that's one overarching point I'd like to make. You know, people say there's plans and there's uh, different plans announced and stuff. What makes this very different is our overall approach. So yeah, the electric cars grab the headlines retrofitting of 500,000 homes, but that law not the headlines. But fundamentally, what we are announcing here is a complete change of how government um, operates um, and putting climate action at the heart of that. So if you take that our country is run by a cabinet of 15 ministers, um, and effectively our Taoiseach is the chairman of that cabinet that I meet every week. Um, and up until now, you know, the, the Minister for Education talked about education matters at those meetings. The Minister for Business did the same. And then they turned to Richard Rutten as it is today and said, well, Minister, what's happening with climate action? That changes now. And every single minister sitting at the table has to answer for what they're doing in terms of climate action. This isn't down to one, one department anymore or one minister. So the Minister for Agriculture has to say all the measures that they're bringing in. The Minister um, for Transport, the same. And, and all across the board. And the other thing we're doing is setting up, I was on the interim committee with my Finnegal colleagues, uh, the cross-party committee that came up with the report um, that fed into this whole of government approach now. And we met for seven months. That committee has now been put on a full statutory basis um, that it will become a public accounts committee for the uh, for climate action. So it, it, we will have compatibility where we can bring ministers and senior department officials like Secretary Generals and others in before us. And like you do see with the PAC at the minute, where they're questioned about how they spend their money, we'll be able to bring them in and question them what steps are they taking improving the climate efficiency um, of their department because this can't be anybody else's responsibility anymore. We all have skin in the game. We all need every sector to step up to the mark. And the other thing we've brought in then as well is carbon budgeting. So if we're a minister and he gets his handout from Pascal every year um, or, or the Minister of Finance every year at budget time to how much money he's, he or she is going to have in their department, that will change dramatically in that if they don't meet very clear carbon targets, 
they will lose money out of their budget and every minister fights very hard to have as big a budget as possible to do what they want to do in health and education and all the rest. Um, so that will really incentivize them to make sure and their senior officials that there is no slippage here and that, again, this isn't just left to another minister at Cabinet because if one minister falls down, then another department will be expected to... Uh, uh, and the, the idea is that the Climate Action Plan then will be, will be updated annually? Absolutely. So mm. this is uh, based on the same model that we use for Action Plan for Jobs. So when Fine Gael came to power back in 2011-2012, uh, we had 16% unemployment. And Richard Bruton was then the Minister in Enterprise. And he set about a, a plan and a job, a, a, a plan of work to, to get employment back into this country. Um, and by um, having a really detailed plan every year that had 170, 180 different measures that were all written down in very, uh, very much in detail and that all had um, departments and individuals names beside them as to whose responsibility it was and that this was reviewed every quarter so four times a year there was an updated report to say what progress we're making on each of these individual measures. That's how you get into addressing all of the small impediments there was to us getting people back to work and the Action Plan for Jobs was an outstanding success that brought our unemployment rate from 16% down to 5% and it's the same modern approach that Richard Bruton is now bringing uh, to climate action that we look at 180 different measures across a range of different state departments uh, and all of the smaller steps will make a really significant difference. Very ambitious targets, uh, Martin, to have 70% of energy from renewable sources by 2030. Now, other yeah. countries are able to do it. So, you know, the question is, why, why can't we? But we're, we're way off. We're only at about, what are we, about 30% at the moment? So we're at 30% at present, and to go to 70% will be a huge challenge. There, there's no doubt we need to look at um, increasing um, the amount of wind, um, the, uh, the renewable energy that's produced from wind onshore. Uh, there's a massive capability for us to develop more wind offshore. Um, but with solar, there's elements that farmers um, can do in terms of anaerobic digestion and all the rest. But one way we will do this is by incentivizing the individual. And we will have a situation now where somebody puts up a turbine or puts up um, a mechanism for creating renewable energy, solar panels or the rest, that if they have excess from what they need for their own business, their own house, um, they'll be able to sell that back into the grid. And all of a sudden then, rather than us expecting one big private industry to come in um, and deliver this, uh, we will be incentivising individuals and local communities through sustainable energy communities that we see being sprung up um, all around the country now. We will be incentivising those local individuals and communities um, to to produce renewable energy them, uh, themselves and to incentivise them for selling that back into the grid. Um, and again, that'll be a very significant uh, change for us. And, and we have already, you know, one of the strongest... Um, uh, it, it, uh, one of the strongest countries in the world in accommodating generation um, into, our, into our grid system. Um, but we can't be over-reliant on one sector. This will need um, you know, a range of different measures from the renewable sector um, and, and, and to bring those measures into place. But great to hear talk yesterday, Martin, of going offshore for wind farms. Yeah, absolutely. So look, as I said, I'm a Kildare South TD and um, I, there has been some proposals in terms of wind generation in my area um, that has uh, has been hugely um, opposed by some local communities and I understand the, the level of concern there was that, you know, some of the siting of these wind turbines in proximity to houses uh, really had to be questioned and I, I, I do think we have got to get this balance right where, again, we bring communities with us and when you look at... Um, you know, the model around community ownership uh, of wind wind energy, that has been really successful in places like Mount Lucas and Offaly, and there's other uh, measures there. It, a lot of the mistrust that I found from uh, proposals to develop wind farms um, in my area in the past 
was big business coming in and everybody expecting them just to try and get their plan of permission and sell it off and who was really behind this and you, you know where where was that um uh, that, that look out for the community and for the individual houses and all the rest at the same time uh, we do recognize that you know when as a small island nation as we are wind does play a very big part in our generation but it's only a part and as yeah. I said it, we, I, I, I'm determined that we're not over-reliant on just one sector because I don't think that's the way for us to do that to reach 70% renewable we, Well we won't get to 70 on wind alone that's, uh, that's uh, for we, sure We absolutely won't okay, we're, and, not, and, we're, and we're, a, we're not trying to do that Okay and a question that's come in and actually I've seen it come in a, a couple of times from different listeners but Donald sums it up Would you ask uh, your guest and our, and our guest is um, Fine Gael Dáil Deputy uh, Martin Hayden uh, what difference will what we do here in this country Country make as we produce very little amount of greenhouse gases when you compare us on the global scale. Surely it is the bigger countries that should be doing something about it. They seem to be ignoring it, and these are the countries that sell cheaper fuel as well. That we're a small dot when you compare us to other countries. I, you know, Patricia, that's probably a fairly regular line I get from constituencies. Oh, what's the point in us doing anything here at all? Um, the fact of the matter is, we are laggards in terms of our own requirements in, in what we are we are uh, supposed to be reaching uh, as, a, as our own country. We want to go from being like to being leaders because it is absolutely the right thing to do. I, I don't want to blame Europe here, but if we don't act on this, there are really, really significant fines uh, for carbon credits that we will have to buy. And you will be looking at the state and the taxpayer having to foot a bill of hundreds of millions of euro every year that would increase year on year for us not reaching those targets and, and those fines. And OK, Ireland is a relatively small country with five million odd people uh, are thereabouts but like we're part of a wider EU and that is 500 million people and I think we all have to realise the, the power of one mm. each one of us have the ability to make a difference and if we, we, we have to start um, in our own area we can't keep living our lives the way we have because this is about our next generation I've, I'm a father of three young children and you know reading the research as to what our country could look like in 30, 40, 50 years time definitely during their lifetime um, we, w- we will see lakes and rivers develop for the art and any at the minute we'll see half of our country submerged within 100 years if we don't address these challenges so yes other countries have um, measures uh, to bring into place and a lot of them are we're behind a lot of those countries at present, but we cannot sit back and say um, that you know that we're just going to sit back and wait and see what the big countries do because the big countries are making significant grounds and a lot of them are ahead of us where we're at. And in terms of areas like agriculture, the market is changing as well. So for we are a very significant food producer. Ninety percent of the food we produce in our country is exported around the world, and the consumer is changing now. They want to hear about providence. They want to hear the story that that food has to tell and that it's been developed in a in a climate friendly way in a sustainable way um, and that we're conscious of our biodiversity in our country and there's a very good reason that Ireland uh, declared a climate emergency and a biodiversity emergency um, and as the Taoiseach Leo Roger clearly said this is about more than just uh, declaring that it's about backing it up with action and that's what this plan is about Absolutely and it's be a better off light in the candle than curse in the darkness exactly. uh, Listen just one final question could you please ask Martin about the Celtic interconnector which was referenced in the climate action plan uh, off the top of my head, the Celtic interconnector is Celtic interconnector plant that has actually built. From uh, uh, from the best of my knowledge, look at present. You know, when Brexit comes in, uh, we won't have any interconnection uh, to the mainland Europe in terms of gas, uh, and we will be dependent on an interconnector to France for electricity that hasn't been built yet. Um, we have got to make sure that we, as we make these changes and transitions, uh, from a, a, a um, to to be more dependent on renewable and all the rest, that we always underline and back up um, our energy supply, and and you know that is a, a very real concern that you don't have any 
um, risk to our energy security because that then has a very significant impact on business and investment in our country. Um, so it would make a lot of sense to me that we would have interconnection uh, with mainland Europe in terms of energy supply, um, that we can always back that up um, if need be as we make the move to a renewable uh, energy more renewable energy model. Okay, we leave it there. Listen, uh, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Thank you for that. Thank you and, very much. Uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Fine Gael Dáil Deputy Martin Hayden on the government's climate action plan which was signed off yesterday. Some of your thoughts coming in uh, to John Paul, Mary and Mallow. What about the climate change when it comes to air, fuel and the lines we see all over us in the sky every day? Are we going to tackle the airlines? Jonathan in Middleton, some smart thinking person now needs to come up with a, with a business plan for petrol and diesel stations, which will, if they get rid of all the petrol and diesel cars, what use will they be into the future? Maybe they could become fast charge points, says Jonathan, whereby you could charge your electric car in 10 minutes. And Donal on Twitter said they took the trains away years ago. They took the trams away from the cities. Now they want to bring them all back. Hope we're not making more mistakes with this plan. And Dan in Kinsale says these plans suit urban areas more than rural areas. They won't work nationwide. 1850 333 Lines open. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. A lot of people picking up on the electric cars and the battery and how long will the battery actually last? I mean, it just spotted one text saying, what about HGVs that have to do the Cork to Dublin run and then back to Cork again? The battery won't last. It's another gimmick by our government. Um, not that this is just not going to work. I mean, well, they're saying the batteries are improving. The electric car batteries are improving. They say that they're going to have much more charge points. I mean, I think every local authority is going to be responsible for having charge points in their area and they'll have a, a limit of so many they're going to have to produce every year and year on year that that's going to get looked at. So they say that they have all that covered. But there is the worry and there is the concern that if you get and if you're doing it for a business like this, the person here at HGV, uh, you're in fear that your battery is going to, to to die out. But I suppose with technology changing, they're saying that that's not going to happen, but only time will tell. And John feels that the Fine Gael party are only a rich man's party. They're not out for the ordinary working class or the poorer people. And all of this carbon plan seems to be for well-off people. 1850 We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. In the next hour, we are going to deal with the homelessness problem. And in particular, families that are having problem accessing private rented accommodation because landlords are refusing to take people because they're on the HAP scheme. Looking for if you have a story to tell on that. Or if you're a landlord, why are you against the HAP scheme? If there's a problem with it, then it needs to be tweaked. Let's see if we can come up with some possible solutions. That and more after News at 11. We're bringing the biggest stars to live at the Marquee 2019. Listen this free ticket Thursday to win your way in. Only on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
Now, I want to say thank you to a gentleman who doesn't want me to call out his name and address, which is fine. So I will just reference him as reference. Our listeners saying he's from the Glanmire area. And it was a letter arrived today with uh, some cash in it. And it says, Dear Patricia, while listening to you on your programme last week, I learned of the illness of that little girl, Freya Maloney from Bandham. And I would like to pass on this small contribution. And it isn't. It's a very generous contribution to her parents and to wish them well with her operation. We all hope and pray there will be a great success and that she will be restored to good health and back home with her family soon. Please, God. I do not have an address for the family. So that's why I'm sending it on to your good self to please pass it on. Love the show and keep up the good work. Please don't call out my name and address. P.S. I firmly believe that if everyone gave a little, it would come to a lot and it would help to make life that little bit easier for any family going through a difficult time in their lives. God bless. Isn't that lovely? Thank you for that. And we will pass that on. And only yesterday we had Freya's mum, Ashley, on updating us on how well the operation went. And it was a great success and it was good to see some online services picked up on our interview uh, yesterday so getting the story out there even further and we will continue to keep Freya and her mum Ashley and Kiron, her dad and the rest of the family in our thoughts and prayers because they still have the tricky uh, wait while she's recovering well after the operation seems to be doing remarkably well for the big operation that she had to remove the tumour from her tiny little body God help her but it's the wait now for the biopsy results to see if the tumour is benign and that would be great it would be just fantastic if they came back and said it was a benign uh, tumour but of course there's a chance that it could be a cancerous tumour and that's going to raise all kind of further implications then for going forward from here and treatment etc but they'll cross that bridge when they come to it so thank you to that gentleman we will pass that uh, money on and people have been really really generous because they set up their friends actually set up a GoFundMe account Freya's Care is what it is I mean I think initially they wanted to raise uh, 5,000 they've gone over that it was over 6,000 when I was talking to Ashley yesterday and the idea is it's just to cover the costs for Freya and Kiron, or for the mum for Ashley and dad Kiron, who've had to move lock, stock and barrel to Dublin because they want to be with their little one while she's in hospital and it's just to cover obviously they're not working while Freya is unwell and it's to cover all those costs and then the money they literally just take what they need to survive and then what's left is going to be handed on to that wonderful charity the Children in Hospital charity where they help families to give them a bit of a breather you know to say go out and have a cup of coffee go away for a walk go away and have a shower we'll stay with your little one while you're away because you just especially I mean Freya's only 14 months old you could never sort of walk out of the hospital and leave her so thank you another one of my very very kind listeners I'm always blown away by the generosity of the guys and gals that listen to this programme they really are amazing and talking of the generosity of listeners the when I was going over to Belarus back in May when I came back I mentioned that we'd come across a young mother and she was a young mother who we all knew so well we knew her as a young girl she used to come to Mallow in the summer months she came for about 10 years from the age of 8 up to the age of 18 so we saw her every single summer she came out of an orphanage and she used to come to a family in Mallow lovely lovely girl and then went on to get married and have three children and one of the things that we did on our journey back to Belarus in May was to go and catch up on some of the children that came here just to see how they're doing and that they're all doing okay particularly the orphans who don't have that family support mechanism over in Belarus and we came across the majority have done so well it was just terrific to see them but then we came across this one 
uh, poor young mother and the poverty that she was living in it was just it was horrific it just left us all so upset I will never forget walking away and getting back on our little minibus to, to head away and leave her leaving her in that poverty with her three little boys it was it was really difficult but there and then we were able to do something because we realised our cooker wasn't working and we had we had money going with us thanks to the generosity of some of the listeners to this programme I have to say so we were able to buy her a new cooker and uh, we got clothes for the children help her out and she had some bills and outstanding bills that needed to be paid and we paid them off uh, and then we were helping her when we came back we said we would continue to help her and we were helping her to get out of the squalor and squalor is the only word that I could use that she was living in and to help her move into a new apartment and the good news is that she's about to move into that new apartment we're hoping next week so just to let you know that when she secured the apartment then obviously there was items we needed for the apartment she has the cooker thank God she needed a new fridge for example she needed some beds What's well, kind of weird when you when you rent apartments in Belarus, they don't have any internal doors, so they're like uh, the the bathroom will be in there in the toilet, but it won't have a door on it. There won't be a door into the kitchen or into the bedroom, so she needs some internal doors, and um, that's basically yeah. There really was she didn't look for a lot now. I have to say. So anyway, for fifteen hundred euro, we're going to be able to get all of the items that she needs. She needs, and that money's been sent over to Belarus. So they, I'm always saying that to people when they make when they when they give donations saying I wish it could be more and I keep saying no a small amount goes really really far uh, in Belarus so we're getting the money over to her to help her and she should be next week she should be in that apartment uh, with her children and will all certainly all of us ladies that saw her will sleep a little bit better in our beds knowing that they are out of that awful awful uh, poverty in which they live and she's such a fantastic worker she works on a, a collective farm as they're called doing really hard work you know she's a, she's a great little mother and she's really doing her best to provide for her children she just needs a bit of a leg up and that leg up is thanks to the generosity of people who sent in money to this programme so if you sent money in for the for the kids and um, the people in Belarus thank you they were sending a chunk of it over as it's gone over this week to, so she can buy the items next week so thank you um, 1850 let me go back to the climate action change and your thoughts and comments coming in Michael says now unfortunately Michael Hayden has gone off the line um, Patricia would you please tell Martin that by taking petrol and this is the government by taking petrol and diesel out of the countryside is not bringing the people with you why not start producing carbon free fuel the government could have it up and running within three years. Create multiple jobs in rural Ireland, says uh, Michael. And there has been a lot of talk in the past about creating carbon neutral alternative fuels, particularly, I mean, I think what Michael is suggesting, you know, the types that are made from crops and you can make them from waste products. They're known as, as biofuels. And then biofuels, it's biodiesel, bioethanol, and they're carbon neutral because, of course, the plants absorb the CO2 re- reduced by being... Uh, burned. So yeah, that, that is another way. There, it isn't all about electric, I think is the point that Michael uh, is trying to uh, make. Hi, I heard you earlier about the Green or Rich Party or that the Fine Gael Party, somebody said, are, are a party for the rich and not for the guys and the gals on the street. You could be right there. In fact, the guy that started this whole talk about climate change was a gentleman by the name of Morris Strong, who was a millionaire who made his money in Canada in the oil business. After he left the UN, he went to live in China. I believe he has now since died. Yeah, Morris Strong was a Canadian. He was an oil and mineral businessman. And he was also a diplomat who served 
as Under Secretary General of the United Nations and he was, he's recognised by the International Union of Conservation of Nature as a leader in the international environmental movement and I do believe Mara Strong was probably the first to coin the phrase of climate change and start talking about climate change. So yes, yes you are right, climate change did start by somebody who was a very, uh, the talk of it started by somebody who was a very, very wealthy man. And Dan by WhatsApp says, Patricia, I was just on your Twitter poll for where we're asking the question, would you change from a petrol and diesel car to electric? Well, my answer to it is I'd love to change to an electric, but I simply can't afford to. I'm retired and I'm on a fixed pension. All but one model of electric cars sold in Ireland cost over €25,000. And these prices, Dan feels, will only increase as car companies realise they will now have a captive market. I worry that this will once again be a case where those lucky enough to be on an income to afford these climate change initiatives like electric cars, like home installation and heating upgrades will get all of the benefits while the lower paid in society will be left carrying the full brunt of the costs. Kind regards, says Dan. And I think that would be a worry and concern for anyone with a kind of a social conscience and anyone that would worry that the rich will be able to retrofit their homes, the rich will be able to buy the best electric cars and then the people, as Dan speaks about on fixed incomes, will not be able to afford to retrofit their homes, will not be able to afford electric cars and then will they will they bear the brunt because there will be increases in taxes. You would worry, I certainly uh, would share your concerns, Dan. But on the cost of the electric cars, while they are expensive, the theory, and I know what you're saying, your theory is that it'll be a captive audience and the price will continue. The other theory is that the more people that buy them, the cheaper they become. So let's let's look at the positive rather than the negative. I can see where you're coming from, but let's 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 go with the other argument that the more people that buy them, the please God, the prices of them will start to come down again. Uh, literally, only time will tell. Uh, John says, Patricia, what's going to happen to all the electric car batteries? Is it another case of the wind turbine situation storing bombs? Look at what the jets in the sky are dumping on us. You have to start above and work down. This is not happy with this climate action plan. It's uh, like we're. It's like we, the Irish, are doing things ass ways, and that's from John in uh, Carrigaline. And a Douglas listener says, "Isn't it great?" that we should all let our gardens go wild to help the bees. Mine was always a bit of a wilderness, but I don't have to feel guilty anymore about it. And that comes in from a Douglas listener. Actually, on the bees, and this is some, that's something we're going to be dealing with later on in this hour, we have a piece on wild gardens, that are a project that's been done locally. The current status of the Irish wildlife remains precarious. That's according to the National Biodiversity Data Centre. Um, they've warned following its latest evaluation of indicators The National Biodiversity Data Centre's report confirms short-term accelerating declines in the Irish bee population and this is the one we all have to worry about including the bumblebees and then there's long-term declines in the butterfly population. Over half of monitored river water bodies are at good or high ecological status and that's that's kind of thing isn't that good but the declines in the number of highest quality rivers uh, continue and while they continue to decline we're not always going to have good river bodies we're not always going to have them as good and, and, and as high and we will have further declines in the Irish bee population and uh, including the bumblebee and the butterfly we all have to do something. 1850 333 103 lines open. C103 Jobs. E C 
tree services in West Cork. They're looking for a chainsaw operator, ground staff and a tree climber. Electricians are wanted. That's for a new job starting soon. While full-time experienced plumbers and electricians are wanted for work in Cork, minimum of five years domestic experience, please, is required. And a senior stylist is wanted to work in Cork City, a minimum, please, of three years experience. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Follow C103 on Facebook. Join us today. Search C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, according to a study from Focus Ireland, a large proportion of homeless families looking for accommodation in the private rented sector got no reply from landlords once they said they were dependent on the housing assistance payment known as HAP. Ger Spillan of Focus Ireland in Cork uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Ger. Good morning, Patricia. Ger, why do so many landlords have a problem with the HAP scheme? Yeah, I suppose the, the it's kind of a it's, a it's a complex issue in so far as we are, as you know, in the middle of a housing crisis. Um, and, we, you know, our experience will be that when a property goes up for rent, there is numerous applications for to rent that property. Um, and I suppose cash is king in this type of environment. And, you know, when a prospective tenant turns up and they have money in their pocket and they're uh, able to hand over that money straight away to the landlord, the landlord is likely to accept that person. Uh, in terms of HAP, the landlord will have to sign a form. The, the tenant will have to bring it back to the local authority. Uh, the tenant prior to that will have to register with the local authority. And it could take up to six or eight weeks for that to be processed. So the landlord may be, you know, out of pocket for six to eight weeks. Um, and I think that's, I think, like, to trace it back, it's a larger, if you want to distill down the problem, it goes right back to government policy on this. Back to the 80s, I suppose, when uh, local authorities or when the local, or when government decided not to, not to build uh, social housing anymore, uh, to use the rented market to provide social housing. And that's fine when uh, supply exceeds demand, but currently we're in a situation where demand is exceeding supply. Um, the, I suppose they hollowed out all the expertise and all the, all the experience that local authorities had in terms of um, building social housing. And that, that is what has created the crisis. So, you know, um, you, could have, you would have queues of people um, lining up waiting to, to view rented properties. And, uh, and it's, the, the landlord is going to take the, the, most, the quickest and best deal he can get. And I think, you know, if, if, you're, if as a policy, this is a government policy, you're going to enter into the private rented market, which is uh, a profit-making uh, mechanism, the, the landlord is going, to be, is going to go that route. And I think some, in some cases, landlords are getting a bit of a raw deal on this because they're being seen as some sort of ogre in all this, mm. whereas it really is... Um, you know, government policy. I mean, there was no family homelessness or very little, or at least it was quickly resolved when we had a situation where local authorities were building social housing um, and family homelessness um, is, is a new phenomenon in relation to that. So if you look at the figures now, for example, you have over, we've gone, we've exceeded 10,000 uh, people homeless in the country. Uh, and 4,000 of those are children. And it is becoming a worrying thing. So it's kind of what I'm supposing, cut a long story short, but I'm trying to say it's hard to say that landlords are reluctant to take HAP. We have noticed, the local authority would say, that landlords are signing up to HAP. We have to note ourselves in the last number of years there is more landlords engaging in HAP. 
but it's just the environment in which we are at the moment is that is that um, landlords don't need to wait the, the, the six to eight weeks for the HAP payment to come through. Yeah, and just... when I mentioned earlier about the HAP scheme and I was interested to hear from both tenants who've had problems with HAP but yeah. also from landlords and I've had a landlord contact, contact us to say I'm a landlord and HAP didn't work for me. Uh, my tenant didn't pay the top up. There was nothing I yeah. could do. For me, you're housing people for the government and that's a, a landlord in the West Cork area who's yeah. uh, saying exactly what you're saying that they private landlords now are housing on behalf of the government. But is there an issue, this issue of the the money goes into the landlord's bank for the yeah. HAP and then the tenant must pay the balance? Must pay, must pay a top-up. A yeah. top-up. And if the top-up doesn't go in, then the landlord gets nothing? Yeah, yeah, because the rent the local authority will stop paying. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, and then there, therein is the difficulty. And Focus Ireland and other organisations, particularly Focus Ireland, would have also said that, you know, what you, it's not just enough to house, put somebody into a house. Uh, we are working in some cases, not in all cases, but we work in some in, in cases where people who have been homeless for years, who have lost the ability to manage a home. And when they get a home, they need that support to go with them. So we have plenty of projects, both in Cork and in the Munster area, that demonstrate quite effectively that if, if you provide somebody with housing and support, the tenancy will work and the landlord gets support in that as well. But largely what is happening now is that um, we're, it, it's, an e- it's economics that's eff- affecting it. So, for example, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the, the new homeless, for want of a better word for them, uh, are, are, are not able to access the properties because rents have increased so much. And... Uh, and this falls, this is, and landlords themselves suffer from this as well because they have family members who can't access the housing market. So landlords will take their their rented accommodation out of the market and give it to their children or whatever in order to secure their family in accommodation. So largely it goes back to the to, to the thing about um, there's not enough supply. And I mean, even if you look at Cork City at the moment. Um, and if you look at all the building work that's happening in Cork City, it's largely hotels and offices and not accommodation. And this will have a wider implication. So there's, there's in terms of in homelessness in general, because, you know, the work, the people who work in those offices and in those hotels, where are they going to be housed? Or where they have they to live to somewhere, yeah. Accommodation? And, um, uh, and like, I mean, there is viable solutions out there that can work, but, you know, I mean, government policy at the moment is to... So, for example, in, in Cork City Council or Cork now are opening another family hub, despite the fact that, it's, you know, the, the, um, the Human Rights and Equality Commission challenged that and challenged the normalisation of, of family homelessness. And the Children's Ombudsman came out and said was, was not in favour of that either because of the long-term um, effects that homelessness have on children. So... You know, there seems to be an awful lot of resources going into emergency and and that needs to be done too, don't get me wrong. But, the, but we need all, more in the long-term we need solutions. more long-term because, you know, yeah. you put somebody... Because are, are families in private rented accommodation bearing the brunt, really, of the homelessness crisis? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you an example. I think I may have given you this example when I spoke to you previously about a house that I saw out in, um, out in Blackpool and it was a three-bedroom house, you know, normal two-bed with a box room. And that was going for €1,900 a month. Um, and they were open to HAP. But the thing about that is, in order to secure that property, your HAP payment, I think the maximum you get on a HAP payment for that property would be about €1,100. So you have to make up an €800 shortfall if you take that on. 
And so what we're now seeing is a new type of, of poverty, and that's food poverty or mm-hmm. health poverty or education poverty, because people don't have, excuse me, people don't have the resources to, you know, the resources going into paying the rent as opposed to putting good quality food on the table. So we're, we're kind of, we're piecemealing out, um, we're looking at it in sections, homelessness and poverty and the effects of it, and we're trying to kind of... Um, put a plaster on, on, a, on a gaping wound and we're not being sort of, you know, looking at it at a macro level. That, yeah. You know, if we don't, we're, we're, we're solving one problem in the short term, but creating a whole new range of problems in the long term, particularly when you have 4,000 uh, children homeless. And it's not just organisations like Focus Ireland that are saying this, it's other homeless bodies, but it's also the Children's Ombudsman and the Human Rights and Equality Commission. So you know, it's so there. There is lots of organisations that are highlighting the issues and what needs to be done. Um, and I think if resources were were used more effectively, and the, the most the, the, in in the long term, um, you know, you open a family hub, you put people in, you put families in there. They're going to be in there six, twelve months later because there's nowhere them for to move. So what's your choice? And as what happened in Cork, you open another family hub. And how many family hubs are you going to open by the time it says, well, you know. We, and and a family a family hub jar is basically you have your own bedroom and you share kitchen you share the kitchen isn't yeah, it yeah yeah essentially yeah so there's no there's very little privacy yeah. um, and like I know people will say well people should be happy for any sort of roof overhead but people are are just looking at it in the short term there's long term issues here people need a home they need to feel secure they need a place where they can go home and get and get away from the world they need to play it, and particularly children and this is the the fulcrum of how society works and this is the fulcrum of their safety and security in 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 that society and this will have huge and if we can provide more housing and support people in that housing then you will have a huge societal effect of that but what's happening at the moment is that we are creating i would believe that we are creating uh, greater social problems into the future which our children will have to deal with yeah i mean even if, if even even a simple thing when you think of those 4000 children who are in emergency accommodation Ger, i mean we've uh, a week or so a little over a week left before the primary schools break up yeah. for the holidays yeah. the secondary school kids are already out how tough is it going to be for families living in a hotel room or even living in a, a family hub, which must seem luxurious compared to living in a hotel room or a B&B, yeah, to, to, to survive the summer months? Yeah, but it's going to be quite, it's going to be very difficult. And I mean, the thing about it is as well is that, you know, it's all well and good and people saying, oh, isn't it great that they're in a hotel? But like they have to leave the hotel that, that morning, yeah. early, all of them. And have to come back later on in the evening. So it's like they're not there; they may not be there for the entirety of the day. But if you look at at how Irish society is work is geared towards, you know, we all put in, and you see that in the junior cert and the leaving cert, there's a huge emphasis put on the leaving cert. Do well in your leaving cert, you'll get into college, you'll get a good job, you'll get a house, all that kind of stuff in your your life. But but if you're if you're a leaving cert student and you're living in a hotel room with smaller siblings and your parents, where do you get to study? You know, and and not not even that. You know, it's not. You know, you're worried about well. You know, where am I going to be living tonight? You know, um, what? You know, just to, and so like, and the likelihood is then that you know it may affect your readings or results, may not. But I just believe that we're not we're not giving the next generation a fair crack of the whip in terms of what of what of how we're trying to deal with the homeless situation. 
Okay, we leave it there. Um, Ger, thank you for that. Pleasure as always to talk to you. No thank you for joining you. us. Good morning to you. That thank is uh, Ger Spillan from uh, Focus Ireland in uh, Cork, really painting a rather grim picture, is he not, when it comes to our homelessness uh, situation. It doesn't really doesn't seem to be getting uh, any better. And somebody else, when we were talking about the climate action uh, plan, actually I should have put it to uh, Ger uh, about the retrofitting of homes and, you know, what a, a previous listener, an earlier listener had said, that if the, we do go down the route of the climate action plan and we retrofit and we're forced and people are forced to retrofit their homes and landlords do it, will that just mean that rent is going to go up and will the knock on of that mean we'll have more people in homelessness? Uh, but when we talk about the climate action plan, they launched it yesterday, assuming they launched it yesterday in in Grange Gorman, um, John Paul, I'm assuming that's where the, where the launch actually was in Grange Gorman. Helen in Middleton, I don't know where she spotted this, says that a bus went to Grange Gorman yesterday because it was a special cabinet meeting. You probably saw them all on TV. It was quite relaxed. I thought the way they did the piece to camera with the, the press conference looked quite relaxed. So they had a special cabinet meeting down in Grange Gorman to sign off on the Climate Action Plan and then they met with the media and all of that. So they collectively went in a bus, which is, was a great idea, all together off on their road trip to Grange Gorman. But Helen says that, and we'll get this confirmed, that of all the ministers that went down on the bus, only three went home on the bus, the rest had their state cars sent down. Now they'll all come up with reasons as to why they took a home in the state car because they're probably all going in different directions. But the optics of it doesn't look too good and I'd have to agree with Helen on this. They were down there to launch a climate action plan and they're down there telling us that there's, you know, we're spending too much time in our cars with the Transport Minister saying that the biggest offenders for emissions are people out in their private cars and yet they all go down on a bus and only three of them go home on the bus and the rest go home in their own private, now no, they're the state cars, but it's still their own uh, car. So yeah, I appreciate the optics of that. Doesn't look too good, for sure, for sure. We've all been encouraged to do our bit for biodiversity and one of the best ways is to plant wild flowers, which are so important for bees and other wildlife in order for them to survive. To discuss a project which has been undertaken by the Rathgormack Game and Wildlife Club. I'm joined by John Howard. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, I've seen a photograph in the Avondoo newspaper of the area at Dr Barry's Bridge. Yeah. Uh, outline what the group have done. Well, we've been working with the Village Enhancement Committee, which are part of Rycom Community Council, for the past number of years um, with biodiversity in mind. Uh, we very much want to create uh, what we would call wildlife corridors and habitats for bees in particular, because we hear so much these times about the bees and the butterflies dwindling, and it is all down to lack of habitat. Yeah, I, ju- I actually just mentioned a report that I saw from the National Biodiversity Data Centre uh, saying accelerating declines in the Irish bee population, including the bumblebee. Yeah, I, I know that group very well, and I, I liaise with them also. Yeah, um, that particular mix that we have at Dr. Barry's Bridge was designed in particular with bees in mind. We have a number of plants that the bees absolutely love, such as Phacelia, Barrage, and a few other ones. And is it, difficult, is it a difficult undertaking to create these wildlife areas? It's not, no. It sounds difficult, but it really isn't. Um, the first year, 
what you have to do is get rid of your perennial weeds, your nettles, your scotch, your dock roots and everything, whatever method you choose. We use Roundup. We use it very carefully and very safely. After that, you cultivate the ground the same as you would for any crop. And then you just set the seeds. Set the seed seeds and yeah. w- walk away from it and you have colour eight, nine weeks later. Do you, do you, and and they, because they're wild flowers, they're hardy. Are they, 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 you know, they grow away themselves. We have both perennials and annuals in the mix. Okay. So what I would suggest doing then is leave the crop stand all the winter. Because number one, the seeds on it will feed the finches during the winter. Great. And number two, what seeds the finches won't get will fall to the ground. And come next spring, maybe about March or early April, then you can cut back half the plot. And the reason I say half is because you would leave the other half because you have the perennials in that. The half then that you cut back, you would give that ground a very light cultivating again. And that will regenerate the seeds that fell over the winter. And you should be able to maintain that plot then for up to five, six years. And is it really all about going back to what was in our areas many years ago? It is, it is. We have lost so much in the last 20, 30 years. Between ditches, hedges, forests, bogs, you know, wildflower meadows, hay meadows. We just lost too much. and It's time to stop and to try and put back some of what we took away. And I believe you also have a project at Carran Nature Reserve. Yeah, the Rakama Game and Wildlife Club purchased six acres of land about 10 years ago. And we're developing it at the moment with the help of the, the local leader and Cock County Council. And we hope to open that to the public this coming autumn. Wow, that's a, that's a big undertaking, is it? It's a huge undertaking for a gun club, to be honest. Yeah, it is. And explain, um, John, why it's so important that we create habitat for the bees and, and other wildlife. Because, as we said, we have lost so much. The species are in decline. There are so many endangered species that if we don't bring back the habitat for them, we're just going to lose them. And it's not just for bees. I mean, you can take our own native corn crake as a typical example. And it's all down to habitat loss. Have you been keeping an eye on the, the climate action plan announced by the government yesterday? I, ha- I, I briefly heard that on the radio. I, I didn't study it. But look, everything is a plus. Yeah, because, you know, we're, we're, we've been discussing that this morning. And, you know, some people are saying, we're a small nation. We, we can't do anything. It's the likes of the Chinas and the Indias uh, that need to be doing more. But we all have to do our bit. I mean, isn't that, 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 that the key to this? It is. Look, I, I agree with the sentiments. We are a tiny nation and what we do is only a drop in the ocean. But we still have to do our bit. You know, everybody has to do their bit. So do you think it's possible for everyone to do what, like what, you're, what you've, you've created here in, um, with the Wildlife Garden? Could people do that? The, they can they can. In their own gardens? Absolutely. In whatever little bit of a space they have? Yeah, no bother whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and as you say, lovely blast of colour as well, which is, which is, is terrific. It's and brilliant colour, and look, to be honest, you won't get quite the same colour in year two without that little bit of work. Okay. But with a bit of work, it's possible to, to keep that colour for a number of years. And someone says, could you ask John, is he seeing more bees? Definitely. Are yeah. you? Yeah. yeah definitely. 
Yeah, because we had somebody last week saying that they, they've, uh, were wondering ladybirds, that there doesn't seem to be as many ladybirds around. But then I was wondering, is it just too early for the ladybirds? No, I've no? seen quite a few. Have in, you? in fact, uh, looking and walking around the nature reserve yesterday, the, the, the amount of bumblebees and the chives, chives are in flower at the moment, and ladybirds as well. So yeah, it's it's not too early yet now and hopefully the weather will pick up for the weekend. We should see a lot more. Okay, and if you create the areas, that's when you're going to see a lot more of them. That's a help again, yeah. That's what it's all about. Listen, John, best of luck with it and uh, thanks a million uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Lovely, thank you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. And thank you for that. That is John Howard, who is with the Rathgormick Game and Wildlife uh, Club and the great work that they are doing for biodiversity. If you're down around by Dr. Barry's Bridge, fabulous photograph uh, in the Avenue. I think it was last week's Avenue, just showing the wildflowers dancing in the wind at Dr. Barry's one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Bridge, we can all do our bit. And as a Douglas listener said earlier on, it's terrific to hear that the best thing to do is to let our gardens go wild uh, to help the bees. You don't have to worry about it if you're feeling guilty because you haven't got out to cut the grass. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about planting wildflowers and having a section of your garden if you're lucky enough to have the space to plant wild flowers and create like a wild meadow and how good it is for the bee population and for for other wildlife and biodiversity and all of that and then we're wondering where do you buy the seeds well Michael from Pantry was on to say my flower garden my wildflower garden turned out beautiful I got my wildflower seed mix from Fruit Hill Farm in Bantry. The one I bought was Bee Meadow. It was a perennial seed mix and it covers 400 square metres and it cost me €17.50 for the bag. Kind regards. Thank you for that. Lots of information there from Michael. So Fruit Hill Farm in Bantry. Place to go if you're looking for the seeds. And according to Michael, the best one he got was the Bee Meadow perennial seed mix. Thank you for that. On the climate change and electric cars and moving from petrol to diesel and all of that. Donuts says hi Trish no talk about trucks tractors machines fishing boats how are they going to keep going they all use a lot of diesel this government will close the country down with this carbon tax thing we appear to be going solo and we are run big countries too clever down 
we appear to be going on a solo run. Big countries are too clever to go down the road that our government is taking us down. Methinks it's time for the yellow vests to get out and protest. So says Donald and you're right, the yellow vests protest that started in France and we saw the way some of their protests uh, ended up and that was to do with carbon tax, that was to do with climate change, that was to do with the French government saying we need to do something about climate change and look what happened there. I think whenever carbon tax gets mentioned and by the way if you want to spend the time going through the government's climate action plan because it's a great big document, a lot of information in it, carbon tax, of course carbon tax uh, is in there and Donald is right in that the likes of trucks and tractors and you know, you know, big machinery and fishing boats, you know, will they won't be, we assume, will ever run on uh, electricity. So they're going to, oh, there will always be a need for diesel, which anyone who do, continues to use diesel will be paying so much more because of the uh, carbon tax. So you're right on that one, Donald. 1850 333 103. Also coming up on by, oh, these are on WhatsApp. Martin in West Cork says, Hi, Patricia and John Paul. The scientists want us to eat less meat. The climate change school children also want us to eat less meat. Many of those climate changers have pets who eat meat. I'm wondering, will climate changers give up their pets to save the planet? I doubt it. Thanking you, says uh, Martin in West Cork. And I don't know if I've ever heard the argument and <laughs> about that, particularly when we're told to try to eat less meat because it's good for the environment. But what about the animals? It's a really good point. Meat eating animals. What do we do with uh, them? Thank you for that, Martin. Hi, Patricia. On the issue of Annabelle roundabout, this is the main roundabout in Mallow. I think it's a disgrace. I was on the bus coming from Cork yesterday and all I could hear was people saying it was a disgrace. I thought it was starting to look a bit better, but I suppose if you're elevated in a bus and you're looking down on it does it not look as well because it sort of has a little bit of that wild flower garden feel to it and there seems to be a lot of lavender growing and they've got the words mallow spelt out in red kind of a twist on what they on the famous Amsterdam sign I think a lot of people think it's it's tied in with that um I, as I say, personally, I thought it was starting to look a bit better. But anyway, Mary, looking at it from the height of a, bo- a bus, saying a disgrace. And to overhear people, that's not too good, is it? To overhear people commenting on it and not liking the look uh, of it. People are not happy since the there was, for people outside the area, this was a roundabout that had to have work done on it. And there had for many, many years, about 20 years, I think, there was horses, two horses meeting at the crossroads with the riders and again, and we discussed it on this programme, when the, that sculpture first went in, because it was kind of a modern twist on horses and riders, people were against that and didn't like it and thought it was a monstrosity and all of that. And then people grew to love it. And it was, it's now held in great affection by people from Mallow and people who passed through. And of course, when the horsemen and the riders were taken down, they weren't allowed to put them back up because rules and regulations have changed about the height of structures that's allowed on a roundabout. So the council weren't allowed to put it back into place. Actually, we still don't know where it's going. We were meant to get, we were meant to know by now where exactly Cork County Council are going to push that structure. I know it was gone away to be cleaned and all of that, but uh, we still don't know where the actual sculpture will eventually, where will it be its final resting place. And then instead, these mallow, the words mallow, in red, big red letters were put on the roundabout and there was planting put around it. 
and at one stage it just looked like weeds and then I didn't know whether they were going for that wildflower look or not and we were told to have patience let the flowers grow a little bit so that's why I'm surprised to see Mary's text come in because I passed it at the weekend and thought thinking, oh, it's starting to look a bit better but maybe when you're looking at it from a height it's not and then isn't it all relative what I think is nice Mary might think is an absolute disgrace so your thoughts welcomed on that 1850 the Annabelle roundabout is it looking okay is it nice or is it a disgrace, as Mary and some of the people on the bus felt it uh, was. On WhatsApp, hearing your speaker on homelessness and landlords, I did hear that some people are offered a council house and then they turn them down because they don't like the area. It's not near their families. If they want a home, surely you would take it. Here, you can turn down a council house up to five times. Whereas if you're in the United Kingdom, it's just once. And then and that, and then you have a long way to go back at the end of the list again. Do we need to look at the way we hand out council houses in this, in this country and social houses and the fact that people turn them down? Well, with the choice-based letting, that's the new way of allocating council houses. I don't know if as many people are turning down houses because now when a house is available for rent, it goes live on the choice-based letting system and then you put in your interest. You say whether you want to live in that house or not. In the olden times, you got a call to say there was a house available, you got offered it and that then led to problems in that people might want to be living near a family member, might want to stay in a particular area, might want to move to the other side of town, might have been offered a house outside of the area where their children were going to school and didn't have cars. And there's lots of issues where people don't want to live in a particular house. But I know the point if you're home, if you are desperate for a house, you'll take a house anywhere is kind of the theory that's used. But that's not fair on somebody who finds themselves homeless. Why should somebody have to move school, for example, or if somebody needs the support of a family? But as I say, with the choice-based letting system that's in place now, it's the families themselves decide, yes, I'd like to live in that house. Yes, I'd like to live in that area. And that's the way it's been working and working quite successfully. It's just the problem is we don't have enough they're not offering enough houses. And Sean Donnell has been back on because I I did a readout earlier for Sean for a reunion that was going on uh, tonight, a music musicians reunion. And due to a local bereavement, the get together of musicians in Desi Fitz's pub is off for tonight. And it's been rescheduled instead to the 16th of July. And we'll remind listeners of that. But uh, just after I'm mentioning it, we're just now hearing that it has been uh, cancelled New day, 16th of July. Thank you, Sean, for that. Uh, Michael and Mallow was on to say, look at the wages the Irish employees are getting. You have people earning €25,000 a year or some are earning less. How can they afford the prices that Jur, or oh, this was Jur Spillan of Focus Ireland, was speaking about when we read like €2,600 for a rental property in Dublin. How can people on a wage of 25000 afford this to rent, not to mind then a mortgage if you're only earning €300 Euro a week? And people are trapped. People that are renting properties at the moment are caught in that trap of it is impossible to save for a deposit for a mortgage because they're paying so much for their private rented accommodation and they're caught 
They really are caught in the middle of that. It's just, it's it's impossible. And if the wages aren't high enough, yeah, absolutely, you're into a totally different ball game again. On the climate change and electric cars and all of that, Mick in the City said, is it true the batteries in electric cars have to be replaced every few years at a high cost? Make as I say, so many of those questions coming in. John Paul is working on trying to get an expert in electric cars to answer all of those questions. Somebody said they're really expensive. I checked them out. They're between five and eight thousand to replace the batteries. I don't know how often they need to be replaced. Tommy in Carrick Tuhill, how are they going to implement the whole thing with climate change if they haven't priced the whole thing? If I go into a store to buy a pair of socks, I know the price. So it seems the government do not know the price of this climate action and Michael in Silver Springs no scientific proof has come out on climate change as of yet I feel this is a way of extracting money out of people's pockets it started off in the 90s with the first talk about climate change then it went to global warming now it's back to climate change again I feel it's taking money out of the pockets uh, is a big reason well I I think you're wrong Michael when you say there's no scientific evidence I think the the scientific evidence is there and climate change and global, global warming whatever title you use they're all wrapped in together they're all part of the same thing that's happening and we all know we we might be okay in our lifetime, but it's what we are passing on to future generations is where the real problem is going to lie. Uh, Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three lines open. The C one zero three Cork Diary with Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Dona clinic going on in the Fernhill House Hotel in Clon this afternoon, three to five, and again between seven and nine. There is a Monster Bingo going on tonight at half past eight. That's in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway. The proceeds will go towards Make-A-Wish and your support will be gratefully appreciated. There will be a photographic exhibition on the history of travellers in West Cork over the decades in the parish centre on the Western Road in Clonakilty. That's on uh, today, if you'd like to go along, all are welcome. To celebrate the fifth annual Yoga Day, there will be a free yoga event at Bohabri Comprehensive School tomorrow from 6am to 7am, so an early start, followed by light refreshments. And then there will be a slow race at half past seven in the morning. Please bring along your own yoga mat and your own bike for the cycle race. And Cork Young Filmmakers are offering a week-long filmmaking workshop in the Big Blue Cube in Mallow from the 8th through to the 12th of July for young people aged between 14 and 18. The programme is supported by Cork County Council, so the only charge is a 50 euro registration fee. There will be a summer film week in Bandon Town Hall from the 29th of July to the 2nd of August. And you'll have the opportunity to experience all aspects of the filmmaking process in front of and behind the camera. And there are only three places left, so you're asked to immediately contact by email Cork Young filmmakers at gmail.com We're going to the comment line where Paddy and Glengariff has uh, contacted us. Good afternoon to you Paddy. Good afternoon Trish. You want to highlight the main Glengariff road going into Bantry? Yeah. Uh, What's the problem it, with it? Basically um, the problem is the road has gone so bad. I know it's, it's gone it, it's actually impossible basically to drive on it. Um, yesterday I put four tyres on my vehicle yesterday okay and um, I was basically asked for a government levy of 350 per tyre to dispose of them tyres. Basically, I took off my car. Okay? Yeah. yeah. 350 per tyre? 
350 per tyre. To dispose of the old euros. ones. Yeah, 14 euros. I just had to basically give the tyre centre yeah. to dispose of my old tyres, okay, that I took off my car. Just to be recycled or whatever they do them with them across the water or whatever, wherever they dispose of them. Um, basically, but I was on that Gengar road yesterday uh, going into Bantry. It's actually another disgrace for anybody to be driving on. The councillor doing nothing there. Absolutely nothing. You know, uh, the yes. only man that's doing anything there in the Glengariff Road is the man basically that's sweeping the footpaths there on the Saturday, every Saturday, a local resident. There's nothing happening there. There's no potholes being filled. The road's actually so bad, I burst the drop link on my car yesterday, and now I have to go basically to the garage and fix that and out of my own pocket. And when you when you changed your tyres, were they just due for a change, or do you think some of it's damaged because of going on, go, using that road a lot? Well, basically, um, it, it it didn't help them anyway. But I, they were due to change, like okay. Uh, so I had no problem with that. I changed them, but like basically, I'm I'm ha- everybody that uses the road has to basically pay government levy now to dispose of your old tyres, yeah. right? which I think is wrong. You know, because we're paying back and uh, on the tyres that you're getting and everything else. Like, it's ridiculous. So basically why I've contacted you is to see if the powers that be can basically get the patching truck in there today. I was on the road yesterday. It's another disgrace from Dr. Cotters coming down Newtown, right? Down, um, basically down into the centre of the town, uh, down to uh, McCarthy's insurance. And we're talking about more than one or two potholes, are we? Oh, we're talking about a real rough section of road that would rattle your car, basically, or whatever you're driving. And if you're towing a trailer, it's worse again. And you're right? saying you can't remember when there was last work done on that road? Well, basically, they have been repairing, I'd say, maybe doing waterworks or something on the road. I don't know. I'm no expert in that field, right? But all I'm saying for them to do, I know they can't do the job overnight, but they can detour traffic at some stage, right? and they can get the patching truck in and do a patching job on it for now. It's an, utter, it's, it's an embarrassment for anybody to be travelling that road, any tourist that comes into that town, and it, it's actually bad going in, but it's worse coming out. OK, we'll get on to the council and uh, see, uh, are they aware of the condition of the road? But you, you assume, with your description, that they must be aware, that people must be complaining about it. But we'll see if we can get any kind of a timeline as to when you reckon at this stage, send the patching truck out to patch it up. But it does sound like it needs a bigger job. Oh, it needs a bigger job. They yeah. need to shut the road completely like, and pick it up. Yeah, OK. I'm not asking them to do the impossible. I'm actually... I'm I'm basically asking the powers that be to come in and just start it out for now until they get a quiet uh, lull in the season or whatever. But they have to be aware that it's doing damage to vehicles. I've been on to my garage, man. He's told me I've burst the drop link, so I basically have to go to the garage now and get it started and get it fitted and pay for that out of my own pocket. And it'd be interesting if you ask that garage man, has he had many other people in who've said that they've they've done damage to their car on that particular road? I'd be interested to hear what he has to say on that. Listen, uh, Paddy, leave it with us and we'll get on to the council. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, safe driving. And thank okay. you for thank you for contacting us. Uh, bye-bye. That is Paddy in Glengariff highlighting the main Glengariff Road going into Bantry and that as we are in the middle of June 
already in the summer season heading into really the busiest time uh, for tourists. That's going to be a very, very busy road. That's not the kind of image, is it, that you want our tourists picking up on. OK, we're not going to get Kilbehany uh, today on the on the phone then, John Paul. There's no one answering. OK, uh, maybe they've taken a half day. Uh, we were hoping to hook up with Kilbehany National School again because we spoke with them yesterday. Stephen, Stephen Walsh, lovely principal, came on to join to talk to us because they were in the Safe Cross Code dance competition which was run by the Road Safety Authority and five schools from around the country had been selected as the top five schools and they put together these really good um, dance, a safe cross code dance that was filmed and it was up on, we saw it on the RSA uh, page and they were into the top five and they needed people to vote you had to go online to vote and we did it yesterday here online uh, to give them to give them a little bit of a helping hand because it's a small school with 78 odd uh, students and we were aware and conscious that some of the other schools might have been bigger and would have had more pupils and you know more people helping, helping them to vote so that's why we gave them a helping hand yesterday and they, the top prize was I think it was was it 30 tablets the school is to receive anyway the good news is they won <laughs> they won the competition uh, yesterday and that's what I'm saying we were trying to get on to the school there just to have a quick word with them to um, just to congratulate them but listen they're, they're off celebrating and rightly so um, but they've they've won which is, which is the main thing so congratulations to Stephen Walsh the principal and everybody involved in Kilbehany National School on winning that uh, competition and while that's a really good news story from a school I don't know if you heard on our 12 o'clock news bulletin a bad news story coming from another part of Cork when it comes to a school. And this time it's Coachford in mid-Cork. People there woke up this morning to discover €10,000 worth of damage had been done to the local primary school because somebody decided it would be a bit of fun to smash in 23 of the windows. They were smashed in overnight. Because of that, the school have had to cancel their sports day today because obviously there's shards of glass out on the schoolyard. They were also hoping to have an end of term mass scheduled for tomorrow. That's also now being cancelled. Now, the Gardaí have arrested a a 16-year-old, a local boy, and he's in Macroom Garda station as we speak where he's been held under the Criminal Justice Act for questioning on the issue. But it, it really is just shocking. And for everybody involved in that primary school, I mean, I'm assuming the school is closed today and nobody went to school, but that is... That really is is horrible story coming out from Coachford. So we've got one part of the county, the good people of, and the children in Kilbehany, very much celebrating. And then on the other side of the county, we have people bemoaning the fact that someone decided it would be a bit of fun to smash up all the windows in the primary school uh, last night. Ah, 1850 Tom is in Bantry. This is on conditions on roads. Afternoon to you, Tom. Good afternoon, um, Patricia. Now, there's a section of road you want to highlight today. There's there's a section of road that that gentleman just mentioned there. It, it's sinking. The mud is coming up through the road. You have to zig zag uh, out of it and into it. When you're coming into it, you have to be very careful because you could damage the car. Actually, one day I, I was on the road and I wasn't able to get off that bad patch and it ripped the exhaust off the car. Oh, yeah, it's a disgrace. I know I was out the Colomon Road last night and they're out there, a fine, straight section of road, perfect condition. There isn't a pinhole in it. And they're out there walking on that road. And there isn't a penny spent in that road 
from Bantry Inn and out through the other side of Bantry. Bantry is a total disgrace. And they're going around the, the place there and they're putting up monuments and all sorts of things. The first thing we need is infrastructure. And forget about monuments and all that kind of thing until we have money to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, and Michael yeah. Bantry says the tour buses now are refusing to use that road, the Glengariff they Road. They said it's in an appalling state and he also feels Paddy, our original caller, should go to the council with his bill for his car. The council were there last year. They patched it up but they were only there for four days and it's as bad as ever. Now I know we're yeah. putting a, a call or an email into the council to see if they have any plans but it does sound like it's in a deplorable uh, condition. Yeah. Something needs to be done about it. All right, well, Tom. It's it's very bad, and I tell you, we're thinking now. A few of us around here are getting mobilised, and we're going to do something about it. So the council would want to wake up, get off their ass, and get out and do something. Okay, keep us informed, yeah. Michael. Thank yeah. you for that. Our okay, Tom, right, thank you uh, for that. Thanks uh, for joining us. And James Incloin was on a double decker bus the other day, going around the city, and the trees were brushing off the top of the buses. The buses surely are getting damaged with all of the uh, trees. Something needs to be done about that. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And just before we go to uh, Joe Joe Heflin, just had the most fantastic news. Little Freya Maloney from Bandon, the little baby whose progress we've been following, who had this huge tumour growing on her neck that they only discovered with the tonsillitis three three weeks ago. She had that major operation on Thursday where they had to open up her little chest and break one of the ribs to get the tumour out. And we heard the good news yesterday from Mum Ashley that the tumour came out intact, which was a really good sign. And the, the doctors were thrilled with that. But then waiting on the biopsy results and the biopsy results in the last half an hour are in and the tumour is benign. So so what fantastic news we've been trying to get on to Ashley but we can't but but her um, one of her uncles rang uh, to tell us and I just want to share that because I know so many people have been keeping little Freya in their thoughts and prayers and uh, mum Ashley and dad Kiron. it's such such good news for them and they can just relax now help her do her recovery from the operation and she seems to be flying it judging by what Ashley was saying yesterday and they'll all be back home in Bandon uh, sooner rather than uh, later so thank God and uh, thank you to Ashley's uncle for ringing us and uh, letting us know and I'm just thrilled to be able to pass on that news Okay, Joe Heffernan uh, joining us on this uh, Tuesday afternoon Good afternoon to you Joe Good afternoon, Patricia. And That's a great step oh, towards chat anyway. Is, um, yeah. a, bit of, a bit of very good news. Yeah, and it's just, you know, when I was really thinking of the family all weekend. Where, I mean, God, you know, because you're battling it with mm. with, the, with a big boy not being well. Mm. But when, when, when smallies and babies are in hospital and they're facing big operations and it's so scary and they don't know what's happening. It's just, it's an awful place for parents to be in that space of trying to, you know, be comforting to your child and in your own head, everything, you know, is going all over the place. Yeah, and just to try to keep going from one day to the next is yeah. very tough. And uh, But thank God now in that situation, Good news. news is good. Good news, yeah. good news. Okay, now today actually we're talking about smallies because we want to talk about children and technology use and we're coming into the summer holidays for the primary school children. They've a little over a week left and they'll all be uh, on their holidays. And there's that difficult balance of how much screen time do you give children and then what are they actually accessing? Yeah, yeah. And um, no, I would be no great expert whatsoever on all the different uh, apps and all that on, um, uh, you know, online. But uh, in a way, 
I'd say an awful lot of parents who are listening might be saying the very same thing. So maybe <coughs> that um, my um, little uh, uh, amateur investigations might, um, might be helpful um, to somebody out there. Because, I mean, I read a thing recently. It can't be right. But still, it came from Bernardo's that one would kind of rely on. I I, I can't get my head around it. That uh, children as young as two are using social media. Yeah, myself and John Paul were discussing this this morning when when, when we saw your piece as well and we were trying to work out because, I mean, obviously children as young as two uh, can't read. So I don't yes. quite know whether Bernardo's are, is it, are, they're you, whatever about using social media, they're certainly using devices. We've well, all, yes. we've all I, seen no, mammy or daddy handing, handing the phone over and, and a two-year-old swiping the screen. I mean, yes. they definitely are. You put them on YouTube and they'll know exactly where to go and what buttons to press. Yeah, yeah. They, they, and, and I suppose that's... Um, Maybe what uh, they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could get my head around that. I yeah. couldn't get my head yeah. around the other statement at all. So, um, but it's parental control. I mean, this, it goes back to, as parents, we need to control what our children are seeing and doing online. Yes, and to make sure that they're not... I beg your pardon, that they're not taken advantage of or that they're not being foolish. Um, I, I, I often say to people here, um, you know, um, y- younger people, um, it's a kind of a saying of mine that, uh, you know, don't put anything online that you wouldn't like to see on the front page of the local newspaper. Yeah. Because um, I, I think uh, we're living in a world where privacy uh, just is uh, from the past in a way, um, but yeah, parental controls. Um, <clears throat> apparently, um, Google and uh, such. Um, there are features that a parent can uh, download and uh, use and set limits and times on uh, uh, on the usage of. For example, iPhones, iPads. On those, apparently, one can select a feature called screen time. And uh, it can be used to block certain apps and anything that it's agreed with the child that it's unsuitable. So on on Androids, then, apparently, like my own phone now is a Samsung. And um, apparently, you can install an app called Family Link from the Google Play Store. No, <laughs> I'm here now talking as if I kind of was. <laughs> no, but all of that, you've, everything you've said makes absolute sense and, it, and it's it's all there and it's available. Good. But it's as parents, you're the one that needs to do it. You're the one that needs to download it. You're yeah. the ones that need to put in. Yeah. Make sure that the filter is on. But I suppose the best piece of advice, uh, because, you know, you can watch your children morning, noon and night, but there'll be a time where they'll be out Mm. at a friend's house or they'll be down the road with the kids playing and somebody will have a device that doesn't have a filter on it and they'll see something that you wouldn't want them to see. It's to talk to your children. Yeah, this would be the big thing. Um, uh, I, I downloaded the thing now this morning um, uh, anticipating that uh, you know that I'd be a little bit more informed about um, what we were talking about and um, <coughs> it was a, a, a website called Net Aware. Apparently it's a partnership between the uh, NSPCC and O2 
And indeed, I did find um, uh, information and guidance um, uh, there. And the the big thing, as you just said yourself there, the big thing would be um, to talk to the kids. Um, for example, it, it suggested kind of ways of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, getting that conversation going. Like, uh, to ask the child, like, what online apps um, are really good? Well, what do you find is, um, you know, uh, enjoyable? Yeah, what are you into at the moment? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Like, yeah. what games, um, uh, which YouTubers um, do you follow or what? Um, Show so, an interest. Hmm? Show an interest. Yeah and, yeah, and get that kind of a conversation going. And maybe, I suppose... Um, we we learn best what we teach. So, like, to get the kids to teach us to say, like, um, what, what what do you see and or worry about, like, online? What what can go wrong? Um, and uh, rather than telling them what can go wrong, that you hear and listen to what they're telling you can go wrong. Um, you know, and uh, as a follow-on to that, then, like, what what would you do? If something upset you or made you worry uh, about anything um, that you came across uh, online, like what what would you do? And you'd be hoping that the first thing that they would do is that they would come and tell you. Mm. Um, so, um, and then guess, it's the hmm? amount of time that children. I mean, for the for the younger children, I, I know this. I can hear almost parents of teenagers tearing their hair out, saying, "Come into my house and try and, you know, and, and try and limit the amount of screen time." Because teenagers, it's like it's it's an extension of their arm yeah. to have their phone with them. But for the younger ones, you know, the primary school ones who will be about to go on their summer holidays, you've got to set guidelines and decide if it's if it's an hour a day or a half an hour a day, whatever you're happy with. And that's it. The device yeah. is taken off them. Yeah. Get out in the garden and kick a football Absolutely. around. Absolutely. The World Health Organization now recommends that um, that young children like that will say between the ages of, what, two, three, up to five, um, that 60 minutes of screen time per day um, is the is the recommended. Now, <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I was rather amazed um, when we went over to see Ken and Kayleigh with their little new child, uh, Dylan. Now, I'm talking about way back. Um, and, you know, one of the big, big gleeful things was um, when uh, uh, I think Mickey Mouse was huge with him at mm. the time, or this, that, or the other thing. And, um, you know, this was a big treat um, uh, with, the, with the big screen and that um uh, they were kind of holed up, if you like, in an apartment up in New Jersey. Um, it was a dreadful time, actually. It was, it was awful. But um, <clears throat> Dylan would absolutely love it when, um, oh, here comes Mickey Mouse. And, um, and you know, uh, I suppose the temptation would be, um, I mean... Mother of God, you couldn't keep up with him with crawling around at that time. And, I and, um, well, I, well I mentioned it earlier when I knew we were going to be talking about it. We've all been in that scenario where you've been in a restaurant and you're trying to have a meal and you've got a toddler in a high chair. And I have been with more parents who have handed a phone to the child so that because they finished, the toddler's finished his or her meal. He wants out of the high chair. If any of the rest of us want to have any kind of a, 
a meal without getting indigestion we need to keep the toddler amused <laughs> hand him a smartphone yeah. okay it might be a half an hour but but we've all done it and yeah. God knows I'd be the first one to hand over my phone if I thought I was going to get uh, so there's times when you can do it but it's it's not using it as a substitute for parenting or as a substitute for a babysitter but where, you, where you plonk yeah. a child in front of it all day but isn't it very tempting yeah uh, oh, listen yeah, yeah. Because, um, you know, you want a little bit of peace. You just want to go and make a cup of tea or coffee. You you want a little bit of time out. Um, and, I mean, I was absolutely astounded that um, this little fella now, he'll be three in September. But the way he can tap the screen and yeah. go to YouTube and press swipe the Swipe across, swipe left, swipe right. Yeah, it's they, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. But I suppose uh, with previous generations, it was TVs. Kids were plunked down in front of TVs. Yeah, Same yeah. thing. And like the, the World Health Organization talks about sedentary screen time. Now, as far as I can make that out as a phrase, it means sitting on one's backside and watching TV. And um, no, I'd say that the World Health Organization could have a word with me um, for the last week there when the US Open golf was on because uh, my screen time uh, uh, soared. It went up in the air altogether. Now, the other thing it did was, being from California, it finished at 3.30 a.m. Now, I I wouldn't stay up that late because I'd be wrecked the following day, but it would be taped and, um, you know, nearly first thing in the morning wouldn't have to catch up with how it finished the night before. So I I, I, I wouldn't be one for practice what you preach here, maybe. But um, I, I would say that's an exception. I mean, that's not on every week. But, um, yeah, that um, uh, definitely the the... Screen time. We talked about it before. I came across this horrendous story. Um, we shared it. Um, that uh, some dad, I think it was in the UK, uh, paid some enormous amount of money uh, that his teenager, I think it was, uh, was in rehab, if you don't mind, for tech addiction. Mm. Um, again, I, I would be reading things that, uh, you know... Um, uh, that if I was into the cartoons, you know the way that the eyes can pop out at Over your head, uh, yeah, they would be popping out, you know. But um, uh, another thing that the NetAware was suggesting was to ask the child for their tips for how to stay safe online. Uh, so, I mean, I think children love to be teaching mm. the adults. So, to ask them like. How do you stay safe online? Like, what can you do? And you could ask them to show you um, for the social media, the messaging app, or even games, um, to show you the privacy settings, to kind of educate you on this is what you do like to, to keep things safe. And um, they're they're teaching you, but they're learning big time um, uh you know, about the options, say, uh, who who can see your photos of yourself and your friends online? Who who can see those? Um, and, and is that okay? And how can you make sure that, um, uh, that what you have, you know, private um, 
bit of fun between yourself and your friends that it isn't out there for the whole world to 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 see um how how would you report or block someone or something yeah well, um, th- well, that makes you uncomfortable yeah back to where we started you talk to the children keep the lines of communication yeah. uh, going and particularly important uh, during the teenage years okay uh, listen uh, Joe thank you for that have a good week and the same Patricia and, uh, and we'll and chat the, again the, next the week the good news from Bendon makes it a, a better day it does it does indeed God bless listen mind yourself yeah. uh, take yeah. care that is Joe Heffernan he runs a counselling practice in Bohabui his number is 029766617 and I can I already see some people coming in saying thanks be to God what great news for little Freya and for her family may she have the most fantastic life is how one person Nori I think it was put it that way uh, absolutely and just once again just to let people know in case you missed it at the start we've just heard the news uh, in the last hour that little Freya her tumour they were waiting on the biopsy results and the good news is that the biopsy is showing that the tumour was benign thank God so there won't have to be any follow on sort of treatment with chemotherapy or anything like that it's a benign tumour they can get her home and get on with their lives it, it really is fantastic uh, news now can I just quickly go to an email that we got in that I didn't get to in the last hour this is on the whole climate change thing and what we were talking about earlier uh, we all want to do our bit to help the planet but the government are being very selective about what they're telling us to do when we all go electric in our cars and homes how are they going to make up the massive hole that the loss of revenue through various duties and taxes on fossil fuels will generate it is hundreds and hundreds of millions every year other taxes will have to skyrocket to cover the losses there will be a sting to this tale says D by email to Patricia at C103.ie and yet the government that's a good point and it's one that I haven't seen answered there is a lot of money made on, on the duties on diesel and petrol where where that money is going to have to be made up I suppose the government will come back and say well if we don't do anything we're going to get fined for climate uh, change will one outweigh the other I don't uh, know uh, thank you for that uh, email coming in to us God help us all how did all the this is on the piece I did with Joe how did all the parents long ago manage when they had large families and they had no gadgets to turn on are children that much of a nuisance today says a texter no I suppose uh, children back in the area you're speaking about went out and they played and they kicked ball around and unfortunately today's generation of children don't some younger parents will say the reason for it is it isn't safe the environment isn't as safe as it once was and they're afraid to leave their children out to play and I can still see lots coming in on electric cars like somebody saying how do we dispose of the electric the batteries they're meant to be really really toxic what do we do uh, about that Uh, Okay, and as I say, we are working on trying to get an expert on to join us about electric cars and see if we can answer a lot of the questions that have come in today. And a very quick one to blog a coffee morning that's happening on Sunday, the 23rd of June at Cafe Aroma in Mill Street. It is for Cope Mallow and Mill Street Hospital being organised by Tricia Gearan. Good luck with it, Trish. That's what I leave you for today. Thanks, John Paul. Talk to you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.